The invitation to follow Jesus is for anyone. Amen? Amen? It's for anyone. It's an open invitation. And that anyone means everyone. Everyone is included. And so we're going to look at it just exactly what that means here today. But before we do, I want to take a moment just to kind of review what we covered last week. Uh, if you were not here, let me just kind of catch you up because it was the first week that we were going over the Not A Fan material. Um, we had a DTR last week with Jesus, all right? And if you were here, you know that the DTR stands for define the what? Define the relationship. What is your relationship with Jesus? What, what is it like? Where do you stand with that? And um, we talked about three different questions that could help define that. We said, why are you here? And these are questions that maybe Jesus would ask us. Why are you here in this place at this time? What, what are you hoping to gather? Why are you here? And then we also asked the question, are you all in? Are, are, are you fully committed with what's going on? Are you fully committed to Jesus, to me, if he was asking you that question? And then we had that thought and that question as well of, have you made it your own? Not your parents, not your grandparents, not your neighbors, not your aunts, your uncles, but is it your own? Is it your own faith that you have? And from those answers, you can determine, are you a fan or are you a follower of Jesus? Because when we talked about this last week, we've looked at the idea that most of us would believe John 3.16, but do we live out the commands and the teachings that are in Luke 9.23? We believe in theory and thought of what John 3.16 stands for, but do we truly follow taking up that cross, denying ourselves, taking up the cross daily and following? And if you weren't able to get up here or see fully what June did, uh, over on the uh, right-hand side, you can see that there are crosses that are behind and people taking up those crosses and following Jesus. That's truly how we take that step and that's truly how we follow follow him. And so we're going to be talking about that over the next few weeks, the difference between just believing John 3.16 and truly following Luke 9.23. So let me kind of jump into this week, um, and it's something Kyle Adelman brought up on the video, and that is the invitation to follow Jesus is for anyone, and anyone means everyone. Now, when I say that, I, I, I feel like we've kind of lost the impact of what anyone means in our society because we're so indoctrinated with this idea of of equal rights or of not discriminating against certain people or of fairness in our culture or of equal opportunity. I mean, we, we don't have this caste system like they do in India. Where in India, you are born into a certain system, you're born into a certain class, and you can't move up in that class. We don't have the same teachings or we don't have the same philosophy or the, the how our society works out like they do in Africa, where dependent upon how you're born and the color of your skin, you could live on a, less than a dollar a day. A, less than a dollar a day. And you don't have any opportunity to better your life. And so we're kind of in the society here in America, in the United States, where we believe, you know, there's rag-to-riches types of stories, and anybody can kind of better themselves. You go and you get a college education, you get a good job, and we have anybody, anyone can have this breakthrough. That's, that's kind of our westernized mindset that we have. And so the impact of Jesus' invitation that is shared there in Luke 9, 23, when Jesus says, anyone, that can kind of get lost on us. 
Because the truth is, here in the United States, we also are pretty skeptic when we hear the word anyone, aren't we? I, I mean, we always kind of feel like there's a catch. Watch out for the catch. I mean, if you go to a car dealership or you see a car commercial, you'll see the commercial say, anyone can buy a car, right? And yet, can really anyone buy a car? Well, no, you have to have enough money to buy the car. If you don't have enough money to buy the car, then you have to be uh, approved. And so there's these little words, OAC, on approved credit. credit. That's what you have to have if you're going to buy a car. And so we quickly learn that anyone doesn't really fully mean anyone, right? Or you'll go to the mall and someone will say, hey, anybody can get this or, or get a new cell phone or, you know, we quickly learn that there's certain restrictions that apply, right? I mean, those are just, those are just there and, and we, kind of are, we kind of back away from this teaching or this thought that anybody could get in or even, you know, car commercials. It, it, this afternoon, if you're watching television and you see a car ad, Look for somewhere on that ad, there will be these white little tiny letters that flash at the bottom of the screen, okay? And then they'll be there for like 0.7 seconds. Those are all the restrictions that mean, well, not really anybody can do this. There are certain restrictions that apply. You'll see that everywhere. And so we become skeptical of this. We become skeptical of this thought that anyone means everyone even though we kind of live in this land of opportunity. Well, if you look at those thoughts, that is not the mindset that Jesus was coming from. In fact, it was pretty radical for him to share this kind of a thought. Let me show you how radical this was. Let me take you back into first century Palestine and, and give you the real ramifications of what this meant when Jesus said, anyone can come and follow me. I shared a little bit of this a couple of weeks ago, probably last month, but I'm going to go a little deeper into this for just a moment here today. Jesus came from a region called the Galilee. That's, that's where he lived and where he was from. And in the first century world and in the Galilee region, everyone knew that God had given Moses the Torah. So the first five books of the Bible were called the Torah. That was Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And that became the focal point or the foundations of the educational system. And so if you were a young boy, young Jewish boy, age five or six, you would go to school to learn the Torah at the local synagogue. And a teacher or a rabbi, a local rabbi, would be your teacher. That school was called the Beth Seir, which which housed the children until they were about 10 years old. What they would do, as I explained last month, they would memorize those first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They would memorize those things. Well, after you hit about ten, most of those children then went into the family business or the family trade or became an apprentice of some sort. But if you were the best of the best, you would continue on with a school called the Beth Talmud where you would memorize the rest of of the Old Testament. Now, I didn't talk about that last time. In fact, if you have your Bibles, take them out, open them up, and maybe put your finger right there where the New Testament begins. In my Bible, it begins about right there. And thumb through what you would have to memorize, what you would be reading. Yeah, and fight the guilt that comes in that we can barely find five minutes to do a devotion, right? 
I mean, they would read and read and memorize and memorize and get God's Word into them. Now remember, this is just the Old Testament. New Testament had not been written yet. Jesus was still writing it, was still living it out before it was written. So this is just the Old Testament that we're talking about here. And so those, these students, uh, 10 and above, would begin to memorize all this. Now, once they did, they would then go on, about age 14 or 15, to the family business, or the best of the best of the best would go to the next level of schooling, which was called the Beth Midrash. To do this, a young teenage boy would approach a rabbi and ask if he could become that rabbi's disciple, which meant that he wanted to be like the rabbi. It meant that you wanted to do as the rabbi did. It meant that you were wanting to give up everything to be like what the rabbi was like. As I said a few weeks ago, that rabbi would have his own interpretation of Scripture. He would have his own interpretation of the Scriptures. It was called the yoke, or it was called his teaching. And so to take upon that yoke is to know what the rabbi knows. It's to do what the rabbi does. It's to be what the rabbi is. And so a young teenager would come, and he would um, seek out a, a rabbi to follow, And he would ask if he could follow him. And the rabbi would turn and begin to grill him on what he knew or his kind of his qualifications. What do you know about the Old Testament? What do you know about the oral tradition? You know, uh, they probably went down to, you know, give me your GPA and your SAT and your ACT scores and, you know, your college interest exam that we have, your credit report, all those kinds of things. Genesis chapter 37 through 50. Memorize it right now. How many times is the word Lord used in the book of Leviticus? All these kind of facts that would come off. And if you were not good enough at that point, then you went to your family business. However, if that rabbi said... This kid's got it. This kid could do what I could do, what I do. He would then say, come, follow me. And that young boy, that disciple, would now leave everything, his family, his friends, his local synagogue, his local village, and he would do as the rabbi did. That's what it meant to be a disciple. That's what it meant to follow. And that rabbi actually had to be pretty discerning about who he invited to follow him because his name was on it. Whatever that apprentice would do would reflect upon the rabbi. And so they were very careful who they wanted to follow them. In fact, there was a phrase that was said, covered in the dust of the rabbi. And what that phrase meant is that your apprentice walked so close to you that they would be covered in your dust. Covered in the dust of the rabbi. You walk so close, you do what they do, that you get covered by your rabbi's dust. Now, most rabbis began to teach around the age of 30. And so Jesus fit right in with that. He began his ministry around the age of 30 only. We see Jesus approach potential. We see Jesus approach potential people like Peter and Andrew, who are brothers, and go up to them and say, come, follow me. Which, now read between the lines here, which means they were not following another rabbi at that time. 
which means they were not the best of the best, which means they didn't cut it in the religious circles. So we see uh, Peter and we see Andrew dropping their nets, which was their family business. That's what they did. And now they are leaving that to follow Jesus. And what Jesus is saying when he says, come follow me, he is saying, I believe that you can do what I do. And so we see a little bit later on where Jesus comes across James and John, who are now brothers. They are in the family business as well with their father, the fishing business, and they leave their nets and they come follow Jesus. Remember what that means. They're not disciples. They're not the best of the best. They're uneducated. They didn't make the varsity team. They're on the junior varsity team. They didn't make it up to the top. They didn't make the cut. Somewhere they didn't reach the top of, their, uh, top of what they could do. But now Jesus comes along. He says, I want you to help me change humanity. I want you to help me change history. Jesus comes along and he seeks them out. Jesus says, you can be like me. You can do what I do. And again, what is unspoken here and what I want to help you see is that Jesus is choosing ordinary people. He's choosing people like you and me. He's choosing people who maybe aren't at the top of their game. And He's saying, you, come and follow me. I know you're not on the all-star team, but I want you a part of my team. And Jesus is saying, anyone, anyone can come do that. Now, please understand that. And this is going to be on your outline in just a second. That is pretty radical for some people here today. Now, for others of you who've been coming around here for years, maybe you've been in church for most of your life, or even for the last decade or two decades, that's not a big deal. But there are people sitting around you, some who are in here for the very first time, some who have come to church for the very first time today, never been in church before. And for them to hear this message, anyone, that's pretty radical. You have friends, you have workers, you have co-workers, you have neighbors. Some who think they are way above or out of bounds on this religious thing. And others who feel like they are way below this religious or Jesus thing. And for now, us to be talking about, you don't have to hit a certain bar. You don't have to do certain, meet certain qualifications. It is for anyone. That is radical. And so again, if you've been a part of this Christianity for a while and you know Jesus and you've known Him for a while, I just want you to cast it back into this. That if you heard that invitation for the first time, here's the invitation Jesus gives to you. And it's on your outline. Anyone is welcome. And anyone means everyone. That's what that means. Anyone is welcome. And anyone means everyone. So when Jesus extends this, anyone is welcome, anyone means everyone invitation, I think people's hearts started to stir. I think people started to say, you mean, you mean I can now do this? They, they had given up their dream of learning from a rabbi. And now they're wondering, you, know, you mean I could, I could follow a rabbi? I could follow someone's teaching like this? In fact, let me tell you about one of the most famous followers of Jesus. Let me ask you, who wrote the uh, first book of the New Testament? Remember, who was that? 
Matthew wrote the first book in the New Testament. We all know some Matthews. In fact, there are probably many Matthews who are here. Maybe you uh, are named Matthew. Maybe your middle name is Matthew. Uh, we know, you know, I probably know a dozen Matthews. This, this is Matthew who wrote the first gospel. This is Matthew who wrote the Christmas story that we read at Christmas time, Matthew. Okay? This is Matthew who we think probably very highly of because he's at this level. He's a disciple. He wrote such a great book. But when we first come across Matthew, he wasn't. I mean, he wasn't well-known. He wasn't uh, well-liked. In fact, he wasn't very well thought of or highly thought of. In fact, he was just the opposite. He was despised in many ways. And so if you have your Bibles, open them up to Matthew chapter 9. And we come across the story where Jesus calls Matthew and uses these words that we're talking about here today to follow him. And I took these five, seven minutes for us to get this other understanding because I want to show you how radical this was for Jesus to come by and invite someone like Matthew to come. So Matthew chapter 9, verse 9 says this, as Jesus passed on from there and he was in Capernaum, He saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, what do you say? Follow me. me. And he rose, Matthew rose, and Matthew followed Jesus. Now, there's a lot that goes unsaid with with that part of the story. And so I just kind of want to break down this little passage here and show you what's going on between the lines because Matthew doesn't give you the full story. Matthew's actually the one who wrote the story, but he doesn't tell you a lot of his story, but we can kind of glean what is going on between the lines. So let me share some of this. It is highly probable that Matthew's family and friends had written him off. Uh, At the very least, he was a massive disappointment to his parents because they had much different plans for what they believed Matthew would do with his life. You say, how do I know that? Because Matthew had another name. Do any of you know what that other name is? Levi. Matthew's other name was Levi, a name that is given as parents expect their children, or in this case their son, to serve the Lord as the Levites did in the Old Testament. So we hear about Levites in the Old Testament. Matthew was a Levi. He was named Levi. So from birth, he was set aside to be a spiritual leader in Israel. And it's highly probable that his father and his grandfather and his great-grandfather and down the lineage were all priests as well. So Matthew probably had the first five books, the Torah, the Old Testament, memorized. But somewhere along this path, his application got turned down. Somewhere along his route, he didn't quite make the cut. Somewhere along the road, he flunked out of rabbi school. Somewhere in his life, He didn't measure up religiously, at least with the system that was in place that day. And so instead of serving the Lord, he decided to serve himself. And he turned his back on Israel and he started working for the Roman government. Anybody know what he was? Matthew was a what? He was a tax collector. 
You know what that means. Nobody likes tax collectors, right? You didn't want to be a tax collector in this day that Jesus uh, uh, was in. I mean, it was commonly known that a tax collector would take a little bit for the country and a little bit for himself. Actually, a little bit for the country and a lot of it for himself. He could determine. It was how he made his living, and he lined his pockets well. Common tax collectors were viewed and despised in that way. And so he became a religious and a social outcast. In fact, ceremonially, he was unclean. He couldn't even enter the outer courts of the tabernacle because of what Matthew did. And so socially and spiritually, he was a loser. Or at least that's what he thought others thought about him. So let me ask a question. Do some of you today feel a little bit like Matthew? Maybe today you feel like you're a Matthew here. You you don't feel good enough to be in church. You don't feel good enough to kind of be in God's presence as we sang about here just a bit. It makes you maybe feel uncomfortable because you don't think you measure up. Or maybe you feel like you've been ostracized from church or from others around you who aren't, maybe you see them as being better than yourself. Or maybe you don't feel like you measure up in any ways. Or perhaps you've made kind of some poor life decisions or some poor career choices. uh, And you thought life was just going to be different. Maybe your parents have put expectations upon you. And it's different than what they had their idea for you. Maybe your choices have kind of snowballed and brought you down a wrong road, and yet you are here today as Matthew was there sitting by the side of the road when Jesus comes along and he says, anyone can follow me. That's what I want to get you to see here today. Anyone can follow him. And to see who this anyone was, to see who Jesus was choosing to follow him was incredible. I mean, I mean, I... It's hard to kind of grasp um, the, the uh, shock that would have been in place for a Jewish rabbi to ask a tax collector for the Roman oppressors to follow him. That, 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 that was a radical, radical move that Jesus made. In fact, the only way that I can kind of explain this, um, last week we talked about you know, fans and, and, and people who are fans of their teams. Remember I showed you this picture last week? Um, you remember, remember those guys, right? Who are they fans of? The, the, the Oakland Raiders, right? They have this kind of this, this, this aura about them. This would be kind of comparable to me walking into kind of the black hole where they cheer for their games on Sunday mornings, right? Going in there and saying, hey, how about all of you guys um, just forget about this game right now and I got something better for you to do? Why don't you guys come to my church, okay? And we'll sing about Jesus and we'll talk about Jesus and you guys can even like give us money when, when we do that. And, uh, and then we'll kind of like hold hands and then we'll leave together and we'll hug and we'll greet each other and come to know each other and bless each other, 12 people, you know. Hey, how about you guys come and do that? Would, would, that, would that be pretty radical? Right? Would that be pretty stupid if I, if I did that? Probably so. Probably so. Well, you know, um, a, a number of years ago, uh, someone here at the church gave my wife and I tickets. And we sat up above this section, up above the kind of the area that's called the black hole. And I walked down into this very section that you see right here. And, 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 and I went down there and I had on another team's jersey because I didn't have a, a Raiders team. Yeah, not very smart, huh? 
And, and I, I turned around and I said to everybody who was there, I said, I said, Ha! You guys lost. You're losers. Ah! Now you say, Pastor Brad, that that actually happened. Yes, that actually happened. I did not say that all these people were there. They had already left. Okay, the game was over. So I went in afterwards and, and I said that. Okay? Okay? I may look stupid, but I'm not that stupid, all right? Okay? Okay? But that would be the radicalness of what was going on here. Jesus was coming up to these people and saying, hey, come follow me. Come to where I'm going. Come out of what you're doing and your lifestyle and you come follow me. Now watch what happens when people begin to see Matthew and, and common day fishermen like, like Peter following a rabbi like Jesus. They now come to realize there must not be any qualifications to follow. There must not be any qualifications. And if there are no qualifications, then there are no excuses, which is the next point that I wrote down on your outline. No qualifications means no excuses. No qualifications means no excuses. Again, let me read Matthew chapter 9, verse 10 through 12. It says, As Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. So there's kind of a motley crew that has gathered here. Jesus has called them together, and Matthew, I believe, and I'll share this at another time, Matthew probably went out and got his buddies to come, because that's who he hung out with. And Matthew's telling him, hey, guys, we know we've been a disappointment to people. We know we should have been serving our country. We know we should have been doing other things in tax collecting. But hey, come and hear what's going on. Verse 11. And when the Pharisees saw this, They said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat and be with tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but it's those who are sick. If you're well, you don't need a doctor. It's those who are sick. And it's those who realize that they're sick who need the doctor. And so Jesus is beginning to break down the barriers that kept people from learning about God. And he's getting rid of the excuses that the people are hiding behind. He's getting rid of the excuse, hey, you know what? You don't have to have memorized the whole Old Testament or the book of Levi or the Torah to follow me. He's getting rid of the excuse that the tradesman might have about excuses not being able to follow the rabbi or the dropout that was stymied from his past. He's saying there are no qualifications that are needed. So there's no excuses. So let me ask you. uh, What's your excuse been for not following Jesus and perhaps being a fan? As we stand here 2013 some odd years later, What's your reason for not getting up and following Jesus? 
Well, Pastor Brad, it's been busy. It's a busy time of year. Fall and everything's kind of going back. Kids are busy. Schedules are busy. Busy, 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 busy. Couldn't get into a community group. Couldn't get into, you know, BSF or couldn't get into an elective. Or, I, I, you know what? It's just so busy right now. Or maybe it's work. You're saying work has been just so demanding. I, I just have to give my priority there. Or, you know what? I, I'm needing to work on my marriage. You know, the kids are so demanding. They have these busy schedules. Or, or times are tough. I had to get a second job. Because I can't certainly give up my cell phone. And I can't give up my cable or satellite bill. Or I can't give up my high-speed wireless service. And I certainly can't give up my visit to Starbucks every day, right? I mean, Pastor Brad, I need my coffee, right? I mean... Have you realized that if you did, you wouldn't have to work so much if you did give up a little bit more? You, you wouldn't have to maybe be so busy. You wouldn't have to have so, de- so many demands if we didn't make our, our wants, our needs. That, that, that we think we need things like that. Or maybe some of you are saying, you know what? Um, it, it's my past. I, I realize my past is keeping me from some things and I got baggage and I got addictions or I've been divorced or I've been, I've been bankrupt. In fact, Pastor Brad, my baggage, my, my baggage has baggage, Pastor Brad. That, that's how bad it is here, right? It seems to me that Matthew had some baggage too. Amen? Matthew had a lot in his past. Matthew had a lot going on as well. But what he learned is that when Jesus said there was no qualifications for this, then he couldn't give it up an excuse. He got up and he went and he followed. I mean, honestly, you know what excuses are like. Excuses are like armpits, right? Everybody's got two of them and they all stink, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's what excuses are. You just need to know that sometimes, right? So we don't need to give those excuses. Jesus gets rid of all the excuses when he invites anyone. It says, anyone is welcome to have a relationship with Jesus. Anyone is welcome to follow Jesus. Anyone means anyone. You mean, um, even if I have a sexual past, anyone. Even if I'm an ex-con, anyone. Even if I've been an inmate, anyone. If I've been recently divorced, anyone. Out of work, anyone. A legalist, anyone anyone. An alcoholic? Anyone. A shopaholic? Anyone. Right? A hypocrite? Anyone. A pothead? Yes. It says anyone. An addict? Anyone. A Raider fan? Uh, No. Yes. 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 Even Raider fans? Yes. Anyone. Anyone. Anyone is welcome. Anyone is welcome. Now what that does mean is that our church might look a little different. Right? You say, but Pastor Brad, do you know what that means? That means that people are going to come in that don't look like the rest of us. Yeah. That's what it means. Right? I mean, people are going to come in and they're going to smell like smoke. And oh no, we can't have that. We don't want that kind of a smell. Right? Or they may come in, they may have a hangover. What does that mean? That's all right. Don't worry. They'll come in once like that and the music's so loud they'll never come back again like that. Right? Right? It'll it'll change. Only try that once. Okay? Okay? Or maybe the ladies will come in. Maybe they'll be dressed kind of, you know, seductively or, or suggestive clothing. What do we do there then? You know, they're not supposed to come in like that. Well, first of all, don't stare. All right? All right? 
When they hear, though, about causing your brother to stumble, and when they hear about keeping your heart pure, they'll get it. They'll give a brother a chance, right? right? They, they, they'll understand. You say, but what, you know, wonder people are living together or sleeping around. They, they, they can't be coming in here. That's going to run right. That's not biblical. You're right. That's not biblical. But I'm not saying, you know, that we should tolerate or that we should condone it. That's not what we're talking about here. Jesus called anyone, but he taught them and he expected certain things from them. And when they come in, when we have friends and family and people who come in or people who come for the very first time, it may be you here today, we come in as fans, but we quickly learn, what does it mean to follow? What does it mean to get in line with? What does it mean to hear what Jesus says and say, I can do that? Because that's what Jesus says for us. He's saying anyone, anyone can come in, anyone can follow. But even more, here's now the next step, and this is what we've got to get to, and this is what we have to learn. It's the last point there in your outline. It's anyone, but it's everything. That's where it comes down to. It's anyone, but it's everything. Because remember, when a disciple followed a rabbi, they left everything to follow, and that included their family. In fact, remember the verse I gave you last week? At the end of the, verse, uh, at the, end of the service, I gave you this verse about hating your family. Remember that? And I said, I said, you got some homework. You got to look over this. You got to say, what, how does this apply? How does this fit in with what Jesus is teaching? Well, let me share with you. Let's go back to that verse. That verse was actually out of Luke chapter 14, verse 25 and 26. Let me just refresh you with it. It says, Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned, this is Jesus, and said to them, If anyone, there's the anyone word again, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and brother, uh, children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my, what's it say there, my? He can't follow. He can't do that. And so we say, man, what is he talking about here? Hating his family, hating your own life. And some people have tried to kind of rationalize this away and say, well, you know, Jesus was only talking to kind of the upper echelon or the seminary students or the full-time ministers, but that's not how I take it. I mean, you can see it says he spoke to the crowd, and again, he says, if anyone, and that anyone means everyone, and that anyone is fairly inclusive word, it's Jesus is talking to a crowd here, and so it's for everyone, and so we've got to look at that, we've got to say, okay, what does that mean to hate your, you know, your Nana or your Mima or your Mumu or whatever you call them? You know, we have all these different names. What does that mean? I mean, that is some very strong language. I think Jesus uses this dramatic language here because to be a follower in this culture meant many times that you had to go without your family's blessing. If your family was not into knowing God in this way or was not into following a rabbi like Jesus, they may not bless the step that you were going to take. And so it might be that you turned your back on your family and they felt that. You know, some of you in here today have had to do that. I, I married a couple last year about this time where uh, the bride was a Christian, her family was, but the groom uh, was a Christian now, but his family was not. And so they came to me and they said, Pastor Brad, we, we've got some issues here because my family says that they won't come if you do our ceremony. 
They won't come if it's a Christian ceremony elevating Christ in the midst of our marriage. They had to make a decision. I said, well, who do you have your higher allegiance to? Is it to your family? Or is it to your God? And how God wants to be elevated in your marriage and now your allegiance to one another because together, you husband and wife, now you are family. Not easy decisions to make. Some of you are there right now. Some of you know that to make this decision has, has gone without your parents' approval. Or maybe your brother or your sister um, have kind of distanced themselves from you because you've made this decision or your boyfriend or girlfriend. They know if you start making these choices that Jesus is saying, they're going to break up with you. And you're not quite sure if you want that. Or maybe some friends are beginning to talk behind your back. Or maybe your husband is going to make fun of you or your wife is going to criticize you. So what does this really mean? What is this word hate getting after? Well, Clearly, Jesus wasn't meaning hate in the way that we often think of the word hate. I mean, his whole ministry, he talked about loving others. He talked about loving God and then loving others. And so, as we see kind of this definition of of hate being this intense, you know, dislike or these feelings of hostility, that's not what he was getting after. In fact, um, here's how the New Living Translation gives it. It says, if you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else by comparison. That being your mother, your father, your brother, your sisters, whoever it may be. In fact, the uh, contemporary English version says, you must love me more than them. I like to kind of put the two together because I think that that kind of captures the degree of what Jesus was talking about here. In fact, let me just illustrate this. I think this is illustrated in the book. Um, Let's say that all these people have lined up to win your affection and your love in life. And on on this racetrack, you see Jesus, and you also see your mother and your brother, your aunt, your uncles, your cousins. You also see your job. You see your sports. You see other things that, you know, line up for your attention. And they're all running in a race. The idea isn't that Jesus comes in first place in that race. The idea is that he is the only one on the track. The idea is that nobody even comes in second place because that's how far Jesus is elevated above everything else. That's what that means to hate everything else because in comparison, nobody should even gather your attention. So Jesus is saying, hey, if you really want to follow me, Anyone can do it, but it is everything, and it's your everything that needs to be thrown out there. And we've already seen that, people making sacrifices to get into our community groups, people saying, and and I hope you do this within your group, or I hope you just do it even if you're not in a group, like the SOS day that Pastor Scott talked to us about. Can we give up a couple hours of sleep on Saturday morning? Can we give up our kind of our own schedule and be there to serve and to do it in the name of Jesus and make an impact in this city? Can we one day say, hey, I'd love to go on a mission trip and give up my finances, give up my vacation time to go serve Jesus on the mission field? Will I give up maybe my family traditions or even what my family wants me to do because I have higher allegiance to Jesus if that's in disagreement with what Jesus wants me to do? It means... We're covered in the dust of the rabbi. That's what it means. What would you say about your life? If you looked at yourself, if you looked at your clothes, would they be covered in the dust 
that Jesus is kicking up as you are following him. If you're clean, you're not close enough. Jesus says, it's anyone. But if you follow, it's everything. Come, come, follow closely, he says. That is my prayer, First Baptist. My prayer for us is that we would be so close that the world cannot even see the difference between Jesus and us. My prayer is that we would be so close that we would be walking hand in hand with Jesus. My prayer is that we'd be so close that that dust kicks up all over us. Because there's no greater rabbi to follow. There's no greater teacher to follow. There's no greater way to live than what Jesus calls us to. Our everything.